Hey, my name is Brianna, and you're listening to the FCC Grayson Podcast. God is doing some incredible things here at First Church. To learn more about FCC and maybe plan your visit, head on over to FCCGrayson.com. We hope today's message gives you hope, inspires, and encourages you in your walk with God. Let's dive into today's message. This morning, if you have your Bibles, go ahead and turn to the book of Psalms. We're going to be in Psalms chapter 27 this morning. We started this month in Psalm chapter 3, uh, where Thomas looked at the, the eight verses that made up that chapter, and kind of the theme of a rise, of where do we turn, what do we do, what is our kind of default mechanisms to um, when things in life don't necessarily go the way that we had planned. And I think that if most of us were honest, and if I were to ask you individually one by one, the majority of our life probably goes opposite to the plans that we have more than it actually goes by the plans that we have. So it's really important that, uh, that we ground ourselves in, in God, in our relationship with Christ, so that during these moments of when things don't go as we had planned, the one thing that remains solid, the one thing that remains true, uh, is what we're leaning on, and that is Jesus Christ. We looked last week at uh, Psalm chapter 9, and that was more of a looking to God in moments of fear, of unsettling, of whenever things uh, around us, not necessarily what we're planning, but the things that we don't control, kind of get into chaos a little bit. And today we're going to be looking at Psalm chapter 27, and as we begin to look at this, you know, the book of Psalms for several years, many theologians, many people have felt like the book of Psalms was just kind of compiled in a random nature, because it's definitely not done chronologically, because most likely the oldest Psalm that we have is Psalm chapter 90, which Moses wrote. But here we find it at the 90th chapter out of 150 instead of at the very beginning. So there was this thought for some time that there was just a, okay, let's just throw them together uh, and, and kind of you know, just have all of these writings and this, these songs and these poems just articulated. We'll just put them together and put numbers on them. Now, now that's, that thinking is kind of falling to the wayside and, and just kind of like life. Uh, kind of like what we see a lot in the book of Psalms, we kind of see a little bit of an ebb and flow to the Psalms and the way that they're constructed, the way that they're arranged. And I think that if most of us would be very honest, our life kind of uh, simulates a roller coaster. It's very similar to that. And we see David doing this. David is the primary author of most of the Psalms, but we see this roller coaster of a ride that his life is on. And Last year, at the beginning of the summer, when we took the summer and spent it in the Psalms as well, I told you that one of the most impactful pieces of advice uh, from someone whom I consider to be one of my spiritual mentors told me that whenever things aren't going well in your life, or maybe to plan, or whenever there's turmoil or trials or tribulations that you're facing, find your voice in the book of Psalms. He said, read it. Read it, reread it, reread it again. Stay in the book of Psalms until you find your voice. Because we see almost completely the full range of emotion that we can experience 
here in this life, it can be found in the book of Psalms. And in Psalm 3, when Thomas started, David was writing this, and it listed all of these things that were happening. Very first, right out of the bat, David begins to talk about the things that are going wrong. Last week, we saw a little bit of a transition into that. Again, we're seeing a little bit of an arc up here in these writings, in the way that the Psalms are compiled. And he began with praise to God. And we only looked at verses 1 and 2 last week. But in Psalm 27, as we're going to see here today, David again begins with praise to God first. So if you If you would, let's read this together. Psalm chapter 27, verses 1 through 14. The Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? The Lord is the stronghold of my life. Of whom shall I be afraid? When evildoers assail me to eat up my flesh, my adversaries and foes, it is they who stumble and fall. Though an army encamp against me, my heart shall not fear. Though war arise against me, yet I will be confident. One thing have I asked of the Lord that I will seek after, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all of the days of my life, to gaze upon the beauty of the Lord and to inquire in his temple. For he will hide me in his shelter in the day of trouble. He will conceal me under the cover of his tent. He will lift me high upon a rock. And now my head shall be lifted up above my enemies all around me. And I will offer in his tent sacrifices with shouts of joy. I will sing and make melody to the Lord. Hear, O Lord, when I cry aloud. Be gracious to me and answer me. You have said, seek my face. And my heart says to you, your face, Lord, do I seek. Hide not your face from me. Turn not your servant away in anger. O you who have been my help, cast me not off. Forsake me not, O God of my salvation. For my father and my mother have forsaken me, but the Lord will take me in. Teach me your way, O Lord, and lead me on a level path because of my enemies. Give me not up to the will of my adversaries, for false witnesses have risen against me, and they breathe out violence. I believe that I shall look upon the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. Wait for the Lord. Be strong and let your heart take courage. Wait for the Lord. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for this uh, passage of scripture that shows us uh, so many different ranges of emotion from praise to despair to realization of turmoil. But God, ultimately, of turning to you and singing and shouting praises to you and comfort and counsel in your presence. God, I pray this morning that you would open our hearts and speak to us through your word. I pray this morning for me that you would use my voice to utter the words that you would have spoken, to allow your Holy Spirit to divide your word rightly with my voice as its instrument. Father, we love you. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. So three elements in this passage that I believe that we see, three applications for our lives that David instructs us on of when we're fearful, when we're facing things that we would rather not be facing, when we may actually be scared, 
when we have no control over what's going on around us, David gives us three things, three practical application points in our lives for these moments. But this morning, I don't want to just tell you what these application points are and then say, have a good day, go figure these things out. Because, I mean, honestly, for the most part, if you've been in church any time at all, if you've lived any time at all, and if you've been a Christian, especially any time at all, most of us know the answers, don't we? I mean, don't we kind of know the answers to kind of, you know, turn to God, focus on Him, spend time in prayer. You know, this, this is what we need to do. We need to focus on God, get closer to Him. I want to give you David's history this morning as to the how he got to the place that he knew to do these things, and these were becoming the default mechanism for him. You see, because I don't know about you, but for me, the most powerful lessons that I can implement in the now are the things that I've learned in my past. You know, experience is the best teacher, amen? Most of the time that when we go through something, it's the experience that teaches us the most. I can stand up here and tell you, and you can take it to heart. You can believe it. But until we begin to walk through life and experience these things, that's when words become reality and experience becomes the best teacher. I would dare to say that all of us, if not all of us, nearly all of us in some shape, form, or fashion are going through a dark time right now. There's something in your life that's challenging you. There's something in your life or in our community or in the world around us that troubles us. And we need to look and have a relationship with God that goes far beyond anything that we can have up here. Those moments in life to say that when I've faced a dark time before, I remember God getting me through it. I may be in a situation right now, you may be in a situation right now where you're looking around and you're searching for hope. You're searching for light in the midst of a dark situation and you're finding nothing. And you're searching and you're seeking and you're searching and you're seeking, but nothing seems to be presenting itself. Friends, brothers and sisters in Christ, it is in those moments that we need to look within us and through the power of the remembrance of the Holy Spirit, look back on our lives in dark times when God has showed up and been faithful before. Because I can look back in my life and say there have been times that I have seen absolutely no way out. I thought there was zero hope that there was no escaping that dark situation I was in, but somehow, some way, God showed up and he got me through it. And I would say that just about all of us in here have that same testimony. So if you're in a dark place currently where you see no hope, where you see that the future is bleak, where you may have zero positive mindsets as to the outcome of this and it being good, remember that if God's done it before, he'll do it again. Thank you, Brent. That's the hope that I hang on to in moments of dark times, in moments of where my hope, and let's just be honest, when my faith are shaken, when I may be having trouble in a relationship, when I may be having trouble financially, when you may be facing an issue on your job, when you may be having an issue in your family, don't rest on the hope that this world offers you or that others offer you. Look back to the fact that God has gotten you through to this point. He has blessed you beyond anything that you deserve, and he's not going to stop now because he will never leave us nor forsake us. So let's look at these three things. 
in light of that, of understanding that David, if anyone could write passionately and from experience about being in dark places that looked like they had zero hope, it would be David. So the first thing that we see in the first three verses, what does David do in these moments of darkness? Well, first, he affirms his faith in God alone. He affirms his faith in God alone. So how do we get there? Okay, if we're facing a dark time and we need to affirm our faith in God and God alone, how do we get there? Well, let's learn from David as to how he got there. How many of you know the story of David and Goliath? And if you've it doesn't matter if you've ever been to church before in your life, if you've ever watched a sporting event, ever, you know at least the reference to David and Goliath. Well, Goliath was this massive Philistine warrior that the entire nation, all of the armies, the entire nation of Israel was stricken with fear as the Philistines would send out this champion to challenge anyone in the Israelite army to come and to fight. And the whole army, the whole nation was seized with fear because no one would respond. And they began to mock. The Philistines began to mock. Goliath began to mock the armies. David, a young boy at the time, was sent on an errand by his father. It was basically like a TMZ type thing because his dad said, here, I'm going to give you some provisions, but I'm giving you the provisions so you can take them to him, but I really want to know what's going on. So go get a report, find out what's happening, bring it back to me, let me know what's happening. David gets there, and he just sees this impasse happening. And this one really big dude down there, just challenging everyone that he can possibly challenge, and nobody responding. David goes, what's going on here? And they tell him, and David's like, well, what's the reward for that? I'll go take him on, I'll go do it. And they begin to mock you know, here's this teenage boy saying that I'm going to go and I'm going to defeat this giant of a lifetime warrior. What was David's source of confidence there? You see, I think that sometimes we like to take the mindset that we can go and face Goliath publicly without having the relationship grounding privately with Jesus. David's response was, through God, in the wilderness, through his power, I killed a bear. I killed a lion. And who is this uncircumcised Philistine that he should stand in opposition to the armies of the living God? You see, David had a private history with God that led him to public victory. I think we're far too often concerned with achieving the public victory first without working in private. Because David, on the backside of a wilderness, tending to his father's flock where nobody could see him, where nobody was around, where no one was singing his praises, nobody was going back and reporting how awesome of a job he was doing, no one was patting him on the back and giving him kudos and telling him, you're the greatest thing ever. David, in the moment of complete and total solitude, dependent upon God, when a lion came, and he defeated it. David, in total solitude, depended completely and totally on God when the bear came, and he killed it. 
Guys, it's in those moments of development on the backside of the wilderness, in those dark times where we may not even know what's happening is developing us, those are usually the situations that can propel us further into our destiny in relationship with Jesus Christ. What David did in private and his dedication and the fact that his relationship with God did not waver in a dark time when no one else was around, that led him to the opportunity and the confidence in God that when publicly he got the opportunity, he's like, this? This is what you're afraid of? Man, you don't, you don't understand what I've seen God do. This guy's nothing. He's absolutely nothing. You know, and let me submit this. I think that our worldview as Christians may be a little bit different if we had that same grounding in private that what David had. That the things going on around us in our world we would still see as not good. Hey, this isn't great that this is happening. But I don't think that we would all be running around the sky as falling, the sky as falling, if we understood the relationship in private. We'd go, yeah, that's not great, but... Man, we serve God Almighty. We serve a sovereign king. We serve the Alpha Omega, the King of Kings, the Lord of Lords, the beginning and the end. Who's, who is this? What is this situation? But see, when our confidence is established in only what we can see in public, and it's not grounded in what God does in our lives in the dark moments, in the times that we're alone, then we can often be shaken in our hope, in our security. Never underestimate the power of dark moments in your life. Because that's the time that most often you grow the most. You know what, as I look back over my life and my relationship with Jesus, I can look and see pivotal moments. I can see defining moments. I can see moments where the most maturity happened in my life. But you know what? I look back on them now and see that. You want to know what I did not see in the moment? As I was walking through it, I didn't know that was a pivotal moment. I didn't know that dark situation, that loneliness, that despair, that, that doubt, that fear that I was facing at that moment. I did not understand in that moment that that was going to be a pivotal time in my relationship with God. Please don't ever look at what you're going through lightly or as it'll have no effect. Trust in God. And when you're in those moments, do like David did. Affirm your faith in him alone. Now in verses 4 through 6, we see the next thing. And we see that David focuses on God alone. So he's making this statement, and, and we all know this verse at least in passing. The one thing I've asked of the Lord that I will seek after that I may dwell in the house of the Lord forever all the days of my life, to gaze upon the beauty of the Lord and to, to inquire in his temple. So David's affirming himself in the Lord, his faith in the Lord, and then he's focusing on God alone. What are some of the things in David's life that could have taken his focus off God and did in certain moments, in certain instances? Well, let's just look at two of them real quick. Number one, Thomas talked about it in the first week that we did this in chapter three when 
David's son Absalom was coming after him, trying to kill him. There had already been a coup. Everybody was out to get him. David did have a loyal group of soldiers surrounding him, but he had to flee for his life because he had been betrayed by his own son. Now think about that for a moment. One of the people that you care about the deepest in your life, that you care about on levels that, that you can't really articulate in words. That person turns around and completely and totally stabs you in the back, betrays you, but not only betrays you, is also trying to kill you. Would that not serve as a source of temptation to take your focus off of God? I know it would me. Not only would it serve as a source of temptation to get my focus off of Him, it may even ask me, it cause me to ask why, God? Why? Why do bad things happen to good people? Why? There's one. How about another one? David, whenever he was anointed to be king, whenever Samuel anointed him to be king, King Saul was the first king of Israel, and as Saul was upon the throne, they were quickly realizing, hey, this is probably not the best situation that we've got ourselves into. We may want to start looking for somebody else. So Samuel goes, and all the sons of Jesse pass before him, and he's like, nope, not this guy, nope, not him, nope, nope, nope. And he gets to the end of the line, and there's nobody else. Samuel's like, hey, is there nobody else here? Jesse's like, well, I got one son in the backside of the wilderness in the desert tending the flocks. Bring him. So he, he comes, and Samuel's like, this is the guy. This is God's man. This is the next king. And they anoint him king at that point. Now me, if I'm going through this ceremony, and listen, when I'm talking anointing, I'm not just talking like a little dab will do you on your forehead type thing. Or on a, they're like anointing, like they've got this bucket of oil, and they just douse you with it. And I'm sitting here, and I'm thinking, oh, this is a pretty cool ceremony. I'm going to need to get a bath, but that's fine. I mean, but all right, I'm king now. What's next? Tomorrow I shall sit upon my throne. David's anointed king on this day, but it's roughly about 17 or 18 years before David actually sits on the throne of Israel, before he takes his anointed rightful place as king, he has to wait almost two decades. Now, that would be bad enough. How many of you have ever felt like God wanted you to do something, was calling you to do something, intended for you to do something, but it wasn't happening? Anybody? Okay, okay. That you just don't understand, God, you called me to do this. God, you asked me to do this. I'm trying to do this. I don't have anything. Listen, before I started preaching to people, I preached to a window unit air conditioner in my basement. Not exaggerating. God was giving me messages. I had nobody to preach them to. Hey, look, there's an air conditioner. It can get frustrating when things aren't happening the way that we think they should happen, right? Whenever we feel called, whenever we feel a purpose, but we're not seeing it. But then add on to that that David's not only having to wait almost a couple decades, in those couple decades, guess what he's doing? He's running for his life. He's living in caves. He even gets to the place at one point, David's a numero uno most wanted on the Philistines' top ten list. 
And it get, he gets so desperate at some point. He's living in caves. He's on the run in the wilderness. It gets to the place he has nowhere else to go, but he sees a Philistine camp, and he's like, you know what? Going to the land of my enemies is better and got better chances than dealing with this guy, Saul, who's insanely jealous of me right now. So I'm going to go, and he didn't just walk up to the gates and knock. and was like, hey, David's here. No, he acted like he had lost his mind. Now think about this. The dude, like... I envision, and again, simple-minded guy here, I understand this, but I envision that he had that Alka-Seltzer tab trick going on. You know that one where you put it in your mouth and you start foaming at it? You know, and they're like answering the gate, and the dude's like, ah. But David's hiding. He's on the run for his life in almost for almost two decades after he's received the calling of God on his life. So David's got a whole laundry list of things that he could use and allow to take his focus off of God. And I look at those things and I compare them to the issues in my life and I don't feel real good about myself if I'm being honest with you because I have never been on the run from my life. Now there was a time, I will tell you, we'll tell you this, the moment that I was most concerned about maybe not existing because of violence at the hands of someone else. It was when Rachel was very young, and my buddy had opened up a computer networking shop, and we were playing Ghost Recon on these computers that you could connect together and play together. It was incredible. So at about midnight, I tell my lovely wife, I call her, I'm like, I'll be home here in just a little bit, just a game or two. Well, a game or two, we look up, and the sun's coming up. So I'm like, all right, I'm going to have to go to McDonald's and get a peace offering. <laughs> Guys, what I walked into that morning, I know she's sweet, innocent-looking, kind, and lovely. Here, That was not what I walked into that morning, and rightfully so, justifiably so. I was like throwing McDonald's biscuits and hash browns. That was probably the closest I'd ever been. But that's really not. I've never been really at a, at a loss. You know, I've never really had anything truly threaten me. I wish I could say that I've never lost focus on God or, call, or allowed dark places in my life or times when I'm tried and tested. I wish I could tell you that I'd stay focused on God the whole time, but I'm not. But that's what he wants us to do. It's what David's instructing us to do. That when I'm facing all of these things, here's the things that I'm seeking. I'm seeking to dwell in the house of the Lord forever, regardless of my circumstances, regardless of what the family situation is, regardless of what my work status is, regardless of what I feel is going on around me, whether I like it, love it, hate it, wish it wouldn't happen that way anymore. I, my desire... My heart's plea is to dwell in the house of the Lord forever. The third thing that we see is from verses 7 to 14, is that David returns to God in prayer. So he affirms his faith in God alone. He focuses on God alone. And now the second half of this psalm is David returning to God in prayer. 
I think one of the things that is most challenging for us when we face dark times is the perspective that we have while we're facing these dark times. I want to give you an example of two perspectives in dark times and how they play a huge role in how we manage ourselves and how we go through these dark times. Did you know that being planted and being buried is the exact same thing? When you plant something and when you bury something, it's the exact same thing. You're both digging down into the dirt, putting something in there, and then putting the dirt back on top of it. Goes into a dark place, both surrounded by nothingness and just darkness, and this heaviness, this weight that's on you. But the difference is the expectation of what happens then. Far too often, I think that we use the perspective of that we're being buried when we find ourselves in dark places rather than being planted. See, because the expectation of when you plant something is that new life, new growth, something greater is going to come out of it. But when we bury something, we're just burying it to hide it. We're just burying it with no expectations that there's ever anything going to happen again. What if these dark times in your life, God is intending for you to be planted, but your perspective is is that you're being buried in darkness? If you're still breathing and you're facing a dark time, guess what? You've been planted by God. You've not been buried. So if you find yourself in a dark place, whether we can, we can argue the theology of whether God authors it, whether he allows bad things, whether he does this, he does that, doesn't do this, doesn't do that. The fact of the matter is, is we know that in Genesis 50:20 and in Romans 8:28, we are promised that God will take things, bad things in our lives and ultimately work them for our good. Bad things is being planted in the darkness, but the good things is the fact that we're planted in the darkness and that we've not been buried by God in the darkness. So turn to God to prayer. Affirm your faith in Him alone. Focus on Him alone. And then continually turn to Him in prayer. I've got a couple of scriptures that I want to read to you here. First is out of the book of Matthew chapter 7. And that's seven twenty-four through 27. This is Jesus talking here. It says, everyone then who hears these words of mine and does them will be like a wise man who built his house on the rock. And the rain fell and the floods came and the winds blew and beat on that house, but it did not fall because it had been founded on the rock. And everyone who hears these words of mine and does not do them will be like a foolish man who built his house on the sand. And the rain fell and the floods came and the winds blew and beat against that house and it fell and great was the fall of it. What is the foundation that you're building on? That's what David's learning here. When he returns to God in prayer over and over, that dwelling in the house of the Lord forever, that I'm seeking God no matter what my circumstances, David is giving us a real-life Old Testament picture of this New Testament teaching of Jesus Christ that when the rain comes, when the winds dash, when everything comes against us, if we're built on the foundation of the rock of Jesus Christ, then we can withstand it. But that's only when we are firm on the foundation of Christ. The next passage is 2 Timothy. 
verses, or chapter 3, verses 10 through 17. He says, You, however, have followed my teaching, my conduct, my aim in life, my faith, my patience, my love, my steadfastness, my persecutions and suffering that happened to me at Antioch and Iconium and at Lystra, which persecutions I endured, yet from them all the Lord has rescued me. Let me, let me read that again. Which persecutions I endured, yet from all of them the Lord has rescued me. Indeed, all who desire to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted, while evil people and impostors will go on from bad to worse, deceiving and being deceived. Next slide, please. Thank you. But as for you, continue in what you have learned and have firmly believed, knowing from whom you have learned it, and how from childhood you have been acquainted with the sacred writings which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. All Scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. The Apostle Paul is writing to Timothy here, and he is encouraging him, and he's talking about all of these persecutions, all of these things, that if they haven't already come Timothy's way, they will come Timothy's way, and that he has seen God be faithful to Paul, and then he gives him instructions on what to lean on, what to build on, what to rest in his assurance on, and that is the Word of God. Folks, it's more than just a checklist on your daily to-do list of, I need to read the Word. Don't read it out of obligation. Read it because it's preparing you, it's grounding you, it's firming that foundation under you in Christ because it is His written, holy, living Word given to us to deepen our relationship with Him. I want to close with this. When I, uh, I visited... Uh, really the only reservoir and, and dam system that I have truly visited on a, on a grand scale is in Shasta County, California, and it's the Shasta Dam. And as I was learning, you know, I was, I was definitely like the middle-aged dad as I was going through this tour. You know, I was like stopping and reading like every plaque, and I was like, well, huh, look at that. There were 72 people killed They're building this thing. Y'all should be appreciative. But I was that guy reading all of that. But one statistic that really did stand out to me was 80% of that structure of the, of the Shasta Dam, 80% was not visible. Only 20% of the entire volume of the dam was visible. And if it was just that 20% that made up the structure, that it physically could not hold back the volume of water that it was holding back. And they were very quick to point out that without that 80% that you will never see with your eyes, the work of the 20% is impossible. I think it's the same principle for us as believers. Just like we see David in the backside of the desert when he was dependent upon God and God was defeating the bear and the lion. And we see David be able to take that 20%, that time of Goliath, and go, it's because of the 80%. This is possible. Because of my confidence in God. See, it's in those moments, brothers and sisters, of where we're in this dark place 
We may feel like everyone's forgotten us. We may even feel like God's forgotten about us from time to time. But we find ourselves in this place where we're all alone. It's in those moments when God is developing us. And he's correcting us. And he's, he's proving us. How many of you ever, one of my favorite toys growing up, at least for a short period of time, was those, I can't even remember what they're called now, but they, uh, they're that thing you blew up and it had like the weight on the bottom of it, and you punched it, or you tackled it, or you kicked it, or you maybe tried to shoot it with a BB gun. Um, but whenever it would go down, what'd it do? You know, like popped right back up, right? Like in the first time that I hit that, I remember like, ha bam, you know, I got attacked. I wasn't prepared for it. But the reason that it could do that is because it was weighted at the bottom. See, the things you couldn't see because it was, it was hidden within the design was that weight of the foundation of it that whatever you knocked down, it had no choice but to come back up because of the foundation that it was built on. I want to ask the praise team if they would to come back up this morning. So I think we have to ask ourselves, not, the question isn't, are we facing dark times, or have we faced dark times, or even will we face dark times? Because the answers to all three of those is yes. So I don't think that's the question that we have to ask ourselves this morning. I think what we learned from Psalm 27, as David talks about in verse 1, the Lord is my light. I think we have to ask ourselves, what is our source of light in these dark times? Am I, am I hopeful that my fellow man will shine light? Am I hopeful in a governmental system during dark times? Am I hopeful in an economic situation in dark times? Am I hoping that someone's heart will be changed in a relationship and restored in dark times? Am I hoping for some outside source of intervention during this time of struggle? Or am I hoping in the light of my salvation, in Jesus Christ, in the firm foundation on which we're built? Pray with me if you would.